Hey girl, you know our economy's in the toilet, but I'm still gonna treat you right. I said you can have whatever you like. You like. I said you can have whatever you like. You like. Yeah, yeah. Gator dots, holes up on ice, ice, and we can clip coupons all night. And baby, you can have whatever you like. Okay, so I am here with Weird Al Yankovic, whose most recent album is Alpocalypse. Weird Al. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yourself? Oh, I'm. I think I'm doing okay. Well, good, oh, good. good. I'm really glad good. to hear that. I'm glad that we're on the same. I'm glad we're all way. doing very, yes, very well. Yes. Do so you think everyone's doing okay in general? In in the world, probably not. Okay. I mean, just if you go with the percentages, I would think that you know there's certainly some people in the world that are not doing well currently. Yeah, yeah. I I hope you don't mind, but I may have to. Well, actually, I will. I will start this off in a tenebrous tone. We're talking about a year of heavy losses. We have seen the end of REM, the end of the White Stripes. The dissolution of the marriage of Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore. And I look to you, Weird Al, and I say to myself, well, this guy's been in business for 28 years. He's had the same manager, the same band. How do you do it, Al? Yeah, everybody's wondering, when is Weird Al Yankovic going to break up? Yes. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I keep waiting for my limbs to fall off. It just hasn't happened Really? Yet. Really? You know, I, Your I, mind, perhaps? No, you know, I, I have had the same band, actually, from the very beginning, yeah. which is, in rock and roll uh, uh, terms, is pretty unheard of. Uh, but, you know, um, I just still enjoy doing what I'm doing, and apparently uh, the world at large hasn't gotten completely sick of me yet, and uh, the people that I work with still enjoy working with me, so it, it just seems to have all worked out. I mean, it's, it's pretty ironic because um, a career like mine, uh, historically speaking, should not have lasted more than a few months. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, here I am. Still. Well, I mean, how do you avoid the fights and the fractiousness, or is it all very carefully concealed so that the public doesn't know about how dangerous things are backstage? Well, I've got incriminating Polaroids of everybody in the band and crew, oh, so I if see, they don't want them I made see. public, we all play nice. Okay. Um, I detected a fastidious concern for the English language in the course of my research. There was, of course, the infamous 2003 interview with Eminem that you did, in which you corrected... <laughs> His triple negative. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, but also in an interview with Nardwar, who I like quite a bit, you actually corrected him for saying, or you actually repeated Otis Wedding's riffs, where he said that to you, and and you were very. Not remembering the Otis Wedding. What? Oh, he said he said to you Otis Wedding's riffs, and you corrected and you repeated that back to him. But uh. the point I'm trying to make here, Al, is why in an age of increasing illiteracy would you be concerned with such quaint things as English grammar? I don't know. I, you pick your battles, I guess. I mean, yeah. I'm one of those kind of guys that, you know, I will not ever, ever text the letter U instead of writing out Y-O-U. I, oh, yeah. I am not Prince, and I'm not a 13-year-old girl. You know, You're I not just, Prince? <laughs> I thought you were I Prince. I, I'm getting out of here. Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you waste yeah. your time. No, I, I don't know what it is. It's just it's a kind of a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, I just um, I enjoy the English language and, and several other uh, um, uh, nationalities languages as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I prefer not to, uh, to bastardize it. Does it uh, relate to your increasing need for precision in your audio, in your shows, in your songs, it's, things it's, like it's that? It's probably an extension of my whole uh, OCD, anal retentive, uh, compulsive... Uh, uh, Control freak personality. We're a control freak. Well, how so? I mean, how do you keep that at bay? Because you have to work with people. Yeah. No, I mean, it's I don't. It's not obnoxious, or at least uh, if it is, people aren't uh, telling me about it. Oh, I see. But, you but, have handlers to yeah. prevent you from getting the truth. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I work with people that understand that what I do mm-hmm. is very precise. Uh, when, when we do parodies these days, we're trying to emulate a sound exactly, and I don't have to crack a whip. Everybody in the band knows the drill. They know what we're looking for, and and they're as uh, OCD as I am. They they all are very fastidious about getting exactly the, the right sounds. I want to actually ask you, two recent songs, as well as your children's book, suggest 
that what you're really working towards more as artists is storytelling. I am thinking of Skipper Dan mm -hmm. on this latest album, which transcends the Weezer-style parody to become this really harrowing tale about this poor man, <laughs> this guy. Um, as does Trapped in the Drive-Thru, where it, it doesn't, it isn't really about the R. Kelly parody after a while. You listen to it and you say to yourself, wow, this thing's going on for 11 minutes. I'm not <laughs> conscious of it, which is kind of the carryover from, from Albuquerque uh -huh. on the album before. These songs seem to me more about human behavior than your typical obsessions with like TV and food and right. the like. And I'm wondering if, if these are efforts to sort of just get away from the fact of, of I'm stuck in parody, I'm stuck in having to replicate things. Oh, and also, just in, in contrast to things like The Saga Begins and Ode to a Superhero, which are really just cultural retellings uh -huh. of what we already know. I right. mean, I'm more interested in this new Al that's talking about human behavior. Are we getting, moving towards that? Are you trying to consciously move towards Well, that? it's not conscious or calculated. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm always trying to think of new ways to be funny because, you know, I was, I, I get stuck in ruts sometimes. Like in the 80s, I wrote a lot of songs about food and that yeah. was pointed out to me by a number of people yeah. over the years. And then I wrote a lot of songs about TV and, and currently I, I think I'm stuck in a sort of internet yeah. slash nerd culture kind of uh, era where I'm writing a lot of songs about that because I surf on the internet for uh, a disproportionate amount of time per day. And uh, that, that's, you know, you write, you write what you know about. But I'm always trying to figure out different ways to be funny, and the narrative style is is you know a, a classic way of, of of telling you know of being funny, telling a joke, um, you know, doing a song. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of all those um, you know uh, narrative uh, songs you know, from the '70s, like you know Gordon Lightfoot yeah. and uh, you know Harry Chapin and things like that. And every now and then I'll, I'll throw in a song of that ilk. You know, uh, the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota yes. is, is something along those lines as well. Uh, just, you know, and I, I wouldn't, you know, again, I try to mix it up and be eclectic, and I wouldn't want to do all narrative songs, but every now and then it's nice to throw one in there because people like a story. Well, well why not? What's so wrong about these really quirky behavioral narratives that we're talking about here? I mean, why not more of those? The problem here is that when you think of something like, you know, I want a new duck, well, that whole humor thing comes from transposing drug and duck, and it doesn't always work. Although, in, in the case of, like, you know, Trapped at the Drive-Thru, which I think is epic and wonderful, that just transcends the parody. What, what of this conundrum? I, it, it really depends from song to song. You know, yeah. Trapped in the Drive-Thru, I mean, the reason I wrote that particular uh, narrative was because I, I figured I needed to do something with the R. Kelly song. It was yeah. such an iconic... Uh, song. It was such a big part of the zeitgeist at the time, and I thought, you know, what can I do with this? Because it's already pretty much about as ridiculous as it can possibly be. You know, kind of the same problem I had recently with Lady Gaga. Like, how do you yeah. like go a step above? So instead of even attempting that, I decided to go the other direction and make the song as banal as possible and do a very dramatic, like melodramatic, uh, eleven-minute song where basically nothing happens. Yeah. So that that was my challenge there to try to keep a compelling narrative and still have the story be pretty much about nothing. But I would argue that that actually is about something because it subscribes to Freetag's triangle. <laughs> you have escalating <laughs> conflict from absolute banality. Yes, yeah. So as a result, I would say, well, despite the fact that he tried to bore the tears out of the audience, you're, you're absolutely hooked on every consequential step right. forward. So Very much like Waiting for Godot or Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. I looked at your recording dates list, which I found on your website, and I noticed that you tended to record your original material or your style parodies before you actually did the explicit parodies of the song. And I'm curious about that. Do those come easier for you than, say, the parodies? Or is each song different? Or is it really a matter of like, oh my god, I have another album to assemble, I have to make sure I'm responding to the present trends? What of this? 
It's the latter. Yeah. Uh, you know, they are certainly not easier. In fact, they're much more difficult because yeah. obviously when I'm writing original songs, I have to write the music as well. And uh, when you're writing pastiches, that's even harder than doing a generic original song because not only does the composition need to be original, but it needs to be uh, reminiscent of another artist. So I, that means I have to study an artist's uh, oeuvre and, and pick it apart and figure out what are the little idiosyncrasies and the stylistic... Uh, 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 bullet points that I yeah. need to focus on in order to make my song sound like theirs, except a bit more sick and twisted. Um, so yeah, the reason that I do the uh, the original songs first is because I save the parodies until the very end so that I can hopefully make them as as uh, uh, topical and, and uh, uh, um, timely as possible. Yeah. What about avoiding repetition or even moving into evolution? I think of how you one more minute is almost a prototype for you don't love me anymore or i think about how it's about the pentiums is almost a prototype for white and nerdy i mean do you think about these cyclical developments in, in terms of hitting the same topic from yeah self? yeah i i do and uh i i try not to do that it's difficult yeah. another one is uh you can't watch this on couch potato That's they're basically true. the yeah. same song yeah. but they're like a decade removed so um yeah, it, it happens. You know, when you when you do uh, uh, 13 albums of comedy, sometimes uh, memes and tropes get repeated, and I, I try to avoid that where, wherever possible, but there are, are only so many, you know, ways to make fun of something. Yeah. Are there any parodies you come up after the fact and you say, oh, that would have been better than what I actually ended up doing, or something like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I try not to rethink too much because at that point it's, it's moot, but I mean, you know, my first couple albums... If I were George Lucas, I would completely record them, re-record them both. Yeah. But you know, I try to let things live in their own time and era, and you know, say, okay, this is you know, all I could do in 1983, given my limited time and budget. Sure. In a June 29, 2011 interview, you mentioned to the Onion that you keep lists of bands and artists that you think it would be fun to do a pastiche of. Uh, how many other lists do you have? I know that Tom Petty keeps notebooks and various musical equipment and tape recorders around the house. Is this something similar to what you have in your house, or? Well, I mean, my you know, I used to literally have a three-ring notebook like I had yeah. in high school with a little plastic tab dividers, and and um, and for each song I would have notes. And now everything's on my laptop, so I, I do have everything. My my laptop is more organized than the rest of my life. Like my my house is a mess, but my laptop is is pretty you know pretty organized. And uh, yeah, I, I just keep, I keep lists of another a number of things, uh, uh, artists that I'd like to uh, to pastiche, yeah. uh, songs that are good targets for parody, uh, topics that might be fun to write about. Uh, uh, possible album titles and cover concepts. Uh, I mean, you know, and and uh, you know, because ideas come to you spontaneously. My best ideas are not things that I come up with after I've been thinking about them for an hour. They're things that come to me while I'm driving in my car. Sure. So I'll have to make a little note and then put them in the appropriate folder. And someday I may or may not use them. Yeah. Well, I mean, for example, I think about the fact that Amy Winehouse rose to fame and then unfortunately died between albums so it seems to me that the cycle of emerging artists it's got to be difficult for you to to keep up with that i mean what what if something like this did you actually consider doing an amy winehouse parody or arcade fire i've been wanting that uh -huh. i've been wondering why there hasn't been arcade fire on this new album i was sort of surprised oh, or, sorry. or muse you know yeah uh either one of those would probably be good for uh, a style parody i they neither one have, have really had a, a number one billboard hit i, I try to huh. if, if possible go for like really mainstream uh uh hits when i when i do the parodies uh i don't necessarily have to but that's that's what i usually shoot for yeah uh and i i love muse and arcade fire and and maybe uh they'll get some kind of pastiche treatment down the road and, and you know hopefully if they have 
have a huge hit, I'll do an actual parody. So it's really a matter of finding a huge hit. I mean, this has got to be more difficult with the rise of internet culture in terms of iTunes and all that. People are exchanging mixed CDs. They're not necessarily listening to the radio. It's far more fragmented. So how do you know what the number one hit is going to be? Well, that's, that's one, of, yeah. one of my big problems because it, it isn't like the 80s when everybody was watching MTV and everything you saw was a hit. Uh, and and uh, the radio wasn't as fragmented, and uh, and everybody, you know, nowadays uh, people can uh, very much get into their own subgenres, like whatever particular niche of music they're interested in. They can just listen to that all day long if they want to. Yeah. Uh, which means it's harder to really determine what a mainstream hit is. Which is, I mean, my albums have already always been very, very eclectic in terms of you know the styles and the artists that I do, but it's more important now than ever because. There isn't that kind of communal monoculture that we used to have a, cu a couple decades ago. Yeah, but do you think that, for example, something like Lady Gaga or rap is really the way to find this monoculture these days? I mean, it seems to me when I listen to your polka medleys these days, it seems to me that you really heighten up when, when it comes to the rap stuff, especially uh -huh. when you know ah 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 on yeah. this. Uh, is this more? I suppose does this appeal to the kind of anal control freak tendency of yours? Well, when I when I do the polkas, polkas, uh, uh, one of the uh, parameters that I look for is how much more ridiculous will the sound as a polka. Yeah. So a lot of songs like that, you know, it, it kind of heightens the absurdity of the original lyrics to hear it with the uh, with a, with tuba accompaniment. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I wanted to actually ask about some of your film and movie and television uh, experience. I mean, you apparently had creative differences over CBS over the Weird Al show. Uh, UHF might arguably be called ahead of its time. Um, <laughs> clearly, though, your music videos have made a huge impact. So I'm wondering why you feel that your humor isn't always translatable into sort of a long-form televisual or cinematic medium. Uh, do you think you're mis more misunderstood, or is it just not the right project? I mean, I know that there was this Cartoon Network thing uh -huh. that didn't actually quite make it recently, and so w why do you think that you're not working in, in that in that kind of long form stuff. Well, I'm tr I'm yeah. trying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm making an attempt. Uh, yeah, I uh, ever since UHF, uh, I I have been, you know, um, maybe not as proactive as I probably should be, but I, I have been uh, putting myself out there and and trying to be involved in more uh, TV and feature projects. I haven't been involved in a lot because, you know, I'm very fairly particular about what I agree to. Uh, I, I've been offered a lot of uh, uh, parts in movies that I just thought were not, um, you know, in line with my particular comedic sensibilities, and I, I turned them down because, you know, I'm, I'm not doing it just for the sake of doing it. I want to do it because it's quality work. So, but you know, Jerry Maguire was such a good role. Well, you know, I thought Tom could be better at it, and I thought it'd be better for our culture to to have him do those iconic lines. Yeah. Do you regret any turning down any particular roles? Well, Indiana Jones, that was a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm, just, I'm waiting for the right thing. Uh, in an October 19, 2006 slate piece, critic Sam Anderson noted that YouTube is essentially the Great Alexandrian Library of Weird Al videos. <laughs> well, we all know what happened with the Great Library yes, of Alexandria. Yes. I mean, do you fear that a gang of barbarians will delete YouTube to the ground? The, the or... Great Bulk yeah, Race of yeah, 2013, yeah. yes. What, what do you do about this internet? Um, or do you <laughs> rely on it just like we all do? I mean, you know, some people download porn, other people download Weird Al. I do both by yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah my, my wife is trying to get me to get rid of all my old VHS tapes. She says, everything's on the internet anyway. Why do you even hold on to this stuff? I said, honey, you don't know what's going to happen in the great bulk of race of 2013. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask, in a June 2nd, 2011 interview, you told On Milwaukee, I am still a vegetarian and I try to be a vegan, but I occasionally cheat. If there's a cheese pizza on the band bus, I might sneak a piece. I was hoping to clarify your dietary habits. When you first became a vegetarian, did you have to wear a meat patch? Do you have to wear a cheese <laughs> patch when you get into the vegan thing? Why was it so difficult to take the plunge? Or why, why can't you be 
faithful to your veganism? Well, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a, f a faithful vegetarian. I, I haven't had any meat or meat products to my knowledge. To your uh, knowledge? Someone, know, someone on the bus has been kind of getting in the back of your mouth? You know, somebody might have, you yeah. know, with a syringe, like, giving yeah. me a veal injection at some point. Who knows? But, uh, Is no, there I, meat methadone? I... Not, not as far. I didn't know. I did not have the meat patch. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought I would miss turkey at Thanksgiving, and I, I, I didn't really. I mean, I, I don't really crave meat or anything like that. My wife was vegetarian, uh, you know, when I, when I met her, and up to the point where uh, she got pregnant. And then all of a sudden, we'd be oh. walking down the street, and she'd see a billboard for prime rib, and she'd start salivating. Really? And I'd say, who are you? Did what? she cross the line? <laughs> so, well, yeah, now, now she's still vegetarian, except she eats meat all the time. Oh, I so. see, I see. So, so you, can, you can be a vegetarian or a vegan, you can cheat, and you can still call yourself that. Well, I don't It's kind of like Catholicism? Well... <laughs> For her, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I, I don't eat meat at all. But yeah, every now and then I, I cheat on the vegan thing just because uh, it. My wife corrupted me a bit. I have to say, <laughs> I, I used to be a more of a, a, a staunch vegan until uh, until uh, you know. What pushed you over the edge? Yeah, I don't. It's peer pressure, you know. Uh, yeah. My my daughter actually just became vegetarian. She's a big oh, okay. animal. We didn't want to push her in that direction because uh, I've heard about people uh, uh, like Matt Stone. I heard. Uh, um, you know, his parents were always, like, forcing health food on him as a kid, and he rebelled, and now that he's an adult, he, like, eats garbage food all the time, just because, like, I'll show you, Mom, Dad, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't, we didn't want that with our, our daughter. We just, we kind of, you know, she knows that I'm vegetarian, but we never pushed it down her throat, so to speak. Uh, and, and, and she's a big animal lover, and she's very much into the environment, and she made, decided on her own that she wants to be a vegetarian. I have detected references to bowling in your works and sometimes in your interviews. I know that you once went bowling with John McRae and Ben Folds. <laughs> I'm curious, how often do you go bowling? What is your bowling average? I want to get to the bottom of this. Have you read Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone, which used bowling as a metaphor to demonstrate social isolation increasingly in America? I, mean, I, what are I have not read that, uh, and I do not go bowling regularly. I, I don't know why it's always coming up as a reference in my conversations yeah. and in my, my songs. Uh, I was in a bowling league when I was in junior high school. Oh, interesting, so, because that was actually in the Putnam book. Was it? Yeah, he basically said that more people are going bowling bowling but less people are going in leagues so you've kind of defeated that particular stereotype i, I suppose yeah. so. but but th again this is this is many many years ago yeah, but yeah. uh yeah that was uh, the, uh probably the last organized sports uh, event i was uh, <laughs> what 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 had you go away from the bowling league here what was it that pushed you away just time or? uh yeah i think i i graduated from junior high school oh uh, yeah of course that would do it that would do it yeah so so how often do you go bowling um once every four or five years like clockwork Wow, okay. Um, I know that you watched 100 episodes of the Flintstones for Bedrock Anthem and that you made extraordinary efforts to glean Star Wars plot details for the saga begins. You've done a lot of research Yes, here. I have. Have there been any circumstances where you get too bogged down in the research where it gets in the way of the spontaneity or the improvisational feel of your work? Or I mean, this kind of goes back to the control freak situation, but I'm curious. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's sort of part of my process. Again, some of the best ideas just come to me spontaneously, but uh, a lot of times, uh, it, it, you know, it's... Well, well, I mean, at, the reason I, I um, go through that research is I've, I've already got the idea. I have a very, yeah. uh, a fairly specific idea of a direction I want to go with something. And if, if I know, like in the instance of the Flintstones, what I want to do, I'm going through all those episodes looking for specific sound bites or think or, or sound bites that I think would work well within my concept. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's that's the work part. You know, I, there's the inspiration, and then there's like, okay, now let's make this happen. You know, it's the same thing with uh, my fake uh, educational films. Yes. I mean, I, I'll have an idea. Uh, for an educational film, and then I will watch dozens or perhaps hundreds of hours of uh, uh, public domain footage trying to find visuals that will uh, complement my ideas. So you're on the Prelinger archive all the time. That's Online. correct. That's the that's addictive correct. little website. Yeah. It's all public domain. Right, right, right. Yeah. 
Um, well, that's interesting. I mean, do you get, but do you get drowned in flotsam that you get from the internet? The internet has made it really difficult, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I can only imagine what happened when you first discovered that there was all this available information for you, because I'm sure you were a packer right. before that. Yeah, talk about drinking yeah, from yeah, that yeah. fire hose. I mean... <laughs> It's a little overwhelming. That that's one of the reasons why I spend way too much time on the internet. It's just because you know it's a never-ending, you know, nearly infinite source of information. So you're good about the meat, but you're bad about information. Yeah, that's that's the tough one. That's yeah. the addiction. Actually, I want to get you to respond that Sam Anderson slave piece, which I mentioned. He said of you. His real medium wasn't music, it was fame. He was a parasite of ubiquity. I, I want you to, to, to respond to this. I mean, are you a parasite of ubiquity? What does that even mean? I, I do have business, business cards printed up that say parasite of ubiquity. Oh, but yeah, I, that, yeah. I, that wasn't in reference to that uh, uh, article at all. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess there's something to be said for that. Um, I mean, my, my parody certainly wouldn't be as uh, effective if I was uh, um, making fun of people that nobody had ever heard of before. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I guess part of what I do is, is a comment on that and, uh, you know, kind of deflate uh, the egos that pervade, uh, uh, you know, uh, music business and, and, and the pop industry. And uh, um, in, in a sense, I guess I'd have to agree. Oh, okay. Dare to be Stupid appeared in the 1986 Transformers movie. You also appeared... I, I, I should say, oh, yeah. I prefer Leech to Parasite. Okay, okay. You're a Leech. You're a Leech. Okay. <laughs> Dare to be Stupid appeared in the 1986 Transformers movie. You also appeared on the Transformers animated series. This leads me to ask if Michael Bay ever approached you for his little little concoctions. I, I'm still waiting. I mean, if, if they don't use Dare to be Stupid in Transformers 4, I, I have lost all respect for that franchise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you, you still have respect for it now? <laughs> I'm withholding judgment until I hear <laughs> from Michael it, Bay. Oh, I see. So, digital distribution, getting the songs out earlier to take advantage of this time window that we were talking about before for a particular song. How much... Do you worry, though, about maintaining a long-term legacy? When I think of, like, say, Taco Grande or Do I Creep You Out, they don't exactly have the same shelf life as, say, like a surgeon or right. even Edith, which we haven't even mentioned. We've gotten this far without mentioning Edith. you got to give me that. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what about your legacy? Do you worry about uh, whether your work will last longer than this glorious 28 years? I, I don't worry too much about it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm uh, fascinated that I've been able to hang around as long as I have already. Yeah. Uh, certainly there's some songs that I've written which are the proverbial albatross in the catalog, which yeah. don't age as well as some others. Uh, which but, songs are the dogs, do you think? I, it's hard for me to say. I mean, the ones that you mentioned yeah. uh, <laughs> would, might be candidates. I yeah. don't know. Uh, but you never know when, you, when you're doing a parody if, you know... Uh, how iconic the song was going to wind up being. I mean, I was thrilled when Nirvana had a number one hit, yeah. and I thought that that was the point at which I could do a parody, but I had no idea that would be the song that would define, you know, uh, a decade and or a generation. You know, it. You know, I had no idea at the time. Um, you know, when I agreed to do uh, uh, Mick Jagger's new single, Ruthless People, yeah. I thought, great, I'm doing a Mick Jagger parody, not knowing that his single would barely crack the, crack the top 40. So yeah. you just give it your best shot, and, and I kind of don't look back. I mean, some of the songs I've done have stood the test of time, and, and some not so much. Well, who are your confidants for, that's a song that we have to parody? Is this something that you decide ultimately, or do you have, like, say, people who are have their ears on the present music scene who you really, really trust, and you could say, oh, well, maybe I can parody that, or are they, are you constant, I mean, what's your, what do you do between albums? Are you just listening to music all the time, or what's, what's well, up? Well, not, not all the time, but when, when yeah. I'm actively uh, looking for parodies, I will, uh, you know, have the top 40 radio station on the car, I'll be scouring the billboard charts, and I'll do everything that I need to do to, to analytically figure out what are the quote-unquote hits. Yeah. Um, and, um... I, it, it, I really mostly rely on myself. I mean, um, and you know, and and my internet sources and things like that. Your internet sources. Well, you know, the, 
Billboard and 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 the various other places where you could look yeah. at you know uh, uh, radio play and 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 sales and things like that. Not like Pitchfork or some of the more well, down low Brooklyn well, Vegan or something. No, I, I, I read yeah. them all. I mean, I, I try to uh, inundate myself with uh, you know the stimuli and see what you know what I wind up with. What do you do to prevent yourself from uh, getting sick of music or? But listening to music solely for the purpose of like, oh, that could be a good parody, or mm-hmm. that could be a good pastiche, etc. I mean, do you have, do you have like a certain area of music that you listen to which is just off limits from what you do that you can just listen to and just have fun with it? Or well, I I, I I look for I know I, I should say that I, I do enjoy you know contemporary pop music, but I look forward to when I've got an album completely finished because that means I can turn off the top 40 station and, and put on public radio or put on the, the local alternative station and because and my, my personal taste is more you know left of center and eclectic and and uh, a little bit more indie than than uh, what would be considered pop yeah music. including burps I want to talk about the issue of burps in okay. your music uh, there is a burp in my Bologna there is one at the end of Albuquerque and in the middle of smells like Nirvana yet I have noticed a certain reluctance in recent albums to include burps in your work uh what of this reluctance on your part this diffidence to explore gastrointestinal sounds in the last 10 years well i only do it if it's merited and yeah. uh, it hasn't been uh, a conscious decision to avoid them it's just that i haven't felt an extreme need for a belch in any of my current uh, body of work oh okay but in your body sure but in my body yeah. of course yeah um i want to actually ask you about avoiding profanity if you have always deeply admired Shel Silverstein, as you have said many times. What are the many gloriously risque songs that he has done, like Get My Rocks Off, which Marilyn Manson covered, The Smoke Off, things like that? Why do you avoid something that is vulgarity? Is it an issue of trying to maintain your present audience, or, or what of this? Well, I mean, it's it's a personal choice. I mean, um, you know, I, I don't even use uh, profanity in my everyday life, and therefore I have no uh, uh, compulsion to, to use it in my music. Um, it, it was just a, a choice I made early on, and as a result of that, I found out that um, uh, I have maintained a family audience. Which yeah. it's, it's an audience that you know uh, uh, respects what I do, and 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 uh, I found that it's a family bonding experience. I've heard from a lot of uh, uh, families that listen to my music on car trips, and it's the, it kind of keeps <laughs> it keeps yeah. them together. So I mean, that's that's a nice uh, byproduct, but that wasn't the reason I did it initially. It was just you know. That was just the kind of humor that I wanted to put out into the world personally. And having said that, of course, I appreciate you know a lot of risque tunes and, and artists that that go blue. It's just not what what I personally want to do. Well, I want to also ask about changes in lyrics and censorship issues. The saga begins. Radio Disney asked you to change the lyric. Do you see him hitting on the Queen? To do you see him talking to the Queen? Uh-huh. For Couch Potato, Nickelodeon told you that you couldn't say the Playboy Channel and gay, so you changed it. Uh, on Al Archive, in 2003, you wrote, I'm a little more likely this time around to do whatever it takes to get it on the air. But I gotta say, you're the Grammy Award-winning Weird Al. You got two million followers on Twitter. You, sir, are a draw. Shouldn't you be the one setting the terms? Well, in a perfect world, yeah. yeah. But uh, at the time, I mean, Radio Disney uh, literally uh, was going to just cut that line out of the song, which yeah. would have just completely been jarring and hard to listen to and uh, irksome. I, I, you know, uh, internal edits in, in my music uh, uh, offend me a lot more than, than changing a word or two, because, I mean, you know, it wasn't a big deal to me. I mean... Um, but gay is pretty pretty big, especially these days. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I, I certainly I thought it was ridiculous, yeah. but, I mean, at the time, Radio Disney was uh, a powerful source and, and one of the few uh, radio stations that would, was playing my music, and uh, I, I made a few concessions, which, you know, artistically, you know, it was difficult to do, but 
it's the old art versus commerce thing. I, yeah. I've had to make hard decisions a number of times in my life. What would you say no to these days? I mean, uh, your your sales are doing well. Your, yeah. your tours are doing well. So it seems to me that you can dictate the shots here. Well, I mean, to, to some, some extent. But every every now and then you'll you know uh, be faced with a choice like that, and uh, you have to d decide whether it's. Yeah, ultimately, whether it's worth it. What would you not do in your songs? What lines would you not cross? Um, you mean as far as censoring just, just, yourself? Just censoring yourself or things you just would not say or things you would not dwell on, that kind of thing. I'm just curious. Um, you, you mean what, what, what wouldn't I write about or what, yeah. what wouldn't I... Well, what, what, what you wouldn't write about, what you wouldn't uh, parry. Are there specific targets that are just off limits to you in terms of I, I can't... I can't yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I want to give you like specific examples, but yeah. I, I do feel like there are certain lines that I, I wouldn't feel comfortable crossing. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, again, with a, with a family-friendly thing, I wouldn't do anything that I would consider um, overly profane or, or overly sexual or uh, anything that would really, you know, make kids or parents very uncomfortable. I mean, certainly some of my, my music has uh, innuendo and some of it gets kind of sick and twisted, but I mean, I like to go up to a line without crossing it. So yeah. without without being very specific, I mean, yeah, certainly there are things I, I wouldn't, you know, in, include in my lyrics. But there's glorious violence throughout your work. That I, is true. I, I, I think that it's true. great. So, I mean, there is this kind of raucous quality. So that's what I'm that, saying, that's, yeah. that's, that's what I'm wondering is, is we were talking about the issue of art versus commerce. What about this issue of family-friendly versus raucousness? I mean, is this something you think about? It's something to always consider. I mean, you know, every now and then, um, like the, I think the closest I got, and I was just just right on the line, was uh, the night Santa went crazy. Yes, because I did a, a version which wound up on uh, Bad Hair Day, where Santa doesn't die. Yeah. Uh, but the original version was he gets gets shot in the head. And that was my preferred version, and I thought that was funnier, but everybody at the time was telling me, oh, no, you can't do that, you can't, that's too much, you can't do that. And I was swayed enough to include the less gory version on the album. But uh, a big part of me was thinking, like, that's not the version that I like. And so that when we did a, I forget if it was a B-side or an EP or whatever, uh, the next time we, we released it, we included the extra gory version. Yes. So at least that way you have your choice. Well, what about the animators? You've managed to get a lot of edgy animators in recent years for your music videos. John Kay, Bill Plimpton, and the like. I'm curious if uh, this permits you to maintain this kind of raucous shooting in that impulse in a way that sort of almost recuses you because, well, I just hired the animator. What of this? Uh, you know, I... There's a little bit of truth to that. I mean, I, I, there are certain things I wouldn't let them do, certainly, or yeah. if, if, if they if they cross the line. But it does allow me to be one step removed where I can say, well, that's what they wanted to do. <laughs> well, what of letting them run with the ball? Do you think, like, the John K one went over the line a little bit? or? Well, you should have seen what he wanted to do. <laughs> really? That was the compromise? Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean there, uh, and John John was great about it. I mean, you know, we, we worked closely on that. In fact, gosh, I I, uh, I personally uh, uh, scanned every single one of his uh, uh, drawings to make the animatic for him. I mean, yeah. I, we, we worked very closely, and I, I I didn't have to pull him back much. There were a few things, and again, I'm not going to give you examples, but a few things where I was kind of like, yeah, John, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, but you know, that's that's John, and and that's kind of the way. You have to work with them if you're working in any kind of <laughs> medium like I am, where it's like you just kind of let them go crazy, and then you have to just pull them back a little bit. Would you work with him again? Or? Absolutely. Okay. In okay. fact, I did. I, he did a little bit of animation for um, 
my my 3D Al's brain movie. Yeah, he did yeah. a little piece of animation. So That's true. I, yeah. I, I love John, and he's he's a genius. And uh, uh, yeah, I'd work with him again in a heartbeat. Why isn't there an Al TV installment for this album, or is there an Al TV? We're trying to figure that out. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to talk about this, but uh, there there is interest. Uh, but there's um, uh, uh, some issues right now with with um, getting permission for interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I do it, uh, it's looking like it would be more like a half hour. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, it's it, the the world and the business is changing all the time, and so we're still trying to figure out where it's going to wind up. I mean, yeah. um, I, I, I probably said more already than I should, okay. <laughs> but well, but it, the the point being, uh, we're talking about it and we're hoping to make it happen. So so wait a second. So for the Eminem two thousand three thing, you actually got Eminem's permission to use that video. Clip well, here's the deal. Up yeah. until now, the way it's worked is. Uh, either MTV or VH1 has allowed me to use those interviews ah, yes. because when the artists did them, they apparently signed a waiver saying that they could use those interviews for any program on the channel. Oh, and I if, see. And if I have a show on the channel, i.e. LTV, yes. apparently I can use the interviews. Which is why those have not been released on video. That is correct. I see. I'm very sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that you have said, and you've said in this, that you're a control freak in answer to the question of why you started directing videos. I'm curious why it took you so long to step into the producer seat after Rick Derringer. I mean, did you have to sort of, much like the music videos, observe what was going on before you got in the driver's seat? What of this? Yeah, it was just a natural progression. I mean, you know, I love Rick and he did a great job and it just uh, took several years uh, before I felt like I had gleaned enough uh, uh, experience and information that I felt comfortable sitting in the producer's chair. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about uh, some of your songs. Don't download the song Skewers Both Sides in the Copyright Fight, but you've taken numerous rap songs, White and Nerdy and Couch Potato, and you've applied these mainstream American cultural values in the reverse. Uh, Sam Anderson, who I've quoted two times, he said, The video touches lightly but deftly on the demographic paradox at the heart of hip-hop. The suburban white kid as the core audience of the culture's most commodified example of urban black cool. Um, I'll sue you takes the anti-corporate message of Rage Against the Machine, and it uh, goes and skewers frivolous lawsuits, but it doesn't so much go after the corporations. And, and I'm curious about this. You've had some critics claim, well, maybe Al's moving more reactionary. Maybe he's all about the status quo now. And I'm, I'm wondering about this. I mean, partying the CIA on this new album. What if that were played at a rendition? I think that would be a horrifying prospect. Why do you often side with this kind of upper to middle class white audience is this just where the money is or where your audience is, is this part of the family friendly thing oh, I'm curious. certainly not no I mean that was not I mean I, I it, it horrified me that they uh, that, that, that some uh, organization was starting to use I'll sue you as a like anti-frivolous lawsuit yeah anthem and that was certainly not the intention I mean um, I actually side with a woman that, that sued uh, uh, McDonald's for the hot coffee I mean that was you know you and, saw that movie hot coffee yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and they used I'll sue you as part of that yes uh, and um, no, I, I, I'm certainly not siding with the corporations. I, I, I just was, you know, going for gags. I was going for the jokes. Yeah. It's, it's more, it, it's, it's a more of a uh, easy laugh to go for uh, jokes about frivolous lawsuits. But I mean, you know, that's that, that's. I always say that I try, I try to keep my songs non-political. But I mean, there are some certain people that have taken that song and try to you know, get the message that all lawsuits are, are frivolous or that like a lot of these lawsuits like the uh, hot coffee incident uh, are without merit and that was not my intention I, I was just really <laughs> going for a laugh well how much did you know about the McDonald's lawsuit when you wrote that song I mean were you familiar with the underlying no, facts I, I, case, I totally or? was and, I, and part of me kind of felt bad about that yeah. um, but you know I, I was I was trying to uh, you know 
you know, make it more ridiculous in the same way that I was hoping that that, that uh, obese people wouldn't take too much offense at fat because yeah. I try to make that character so over the top. And I mean, in, in my song, there's an allusion to the McDonald's incident, but she sues because uh, uh, she spilled a frappuccino on her lap and it was yeah. so cold. I mean, you know, I was, I was just trying to make it more ridiculous. And, and if anybody uh, from that uh, got the impression that I was pro-corporations, uh, they're incorrect. Well, in your defense, you also have whatever you like on this album, which is a response to some degree of the economy. But I have to ask, Al, I mean, white and nerdy, that video, there's a wonderful image of defacing the Atlantic Records Wikipedia page <laughs> in response to the whole James Blunt thing. Right. But I understand that fans did that too, uh-huh. learning from your video. So, I mean, when you have a, a very sort of quirky or eccentric or raucous message. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, are you aware that your fans who are very, very loyal could possibly take that one step further? I mean, that someone perhaps may have listened to All Sue You and say, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't sue. I mean, how, how, how much do you think about this? Um, well, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't think any artist likes to think of themselves as a role model, but I, I, I do realize that, um, you know, words have consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 again, I, I don't think I'm overtly putting any kind of real message into my stuff and you know I, I don't think that uh, people defacing Atlantic Records Wikipedia page is any kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> felony uh, uh, at least I'm not unless think... you're arrested by the Wikipedia police right right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah I, I you know I I can you think of any other examples other than I'll see where my uh, I think my... well I mean I'm a, I'm a lefty too so, yeah. <laughs> so I'll see you I see what you're trying to do, but, you, but, it, but it does bother me yeah. because a lot of people are denied due process. And if you see Hot Coffee, that yeah. movie, it has clear evidence that shows that, like, you know, a lot of these people, because of tort reform and cap limits, right. uh, they aren't able to exact uh, damages for their, for right. their injuries and for their sickness. Yeah, I, 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 I will say yeah. that, I, you know, I, uh, I, I will not disavow the song, but yeah. I, I feel horrified that that song was, uh, they, 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 you know, for a brief period of time, they made me into a poster boy for tort reform. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like any artist has to face this, you know, it's sort of like when another recording artist has their song appear in a political campaign or right, something right. like that. Right. Um, you donated the proceeds for Achy Breaky Song to the United States Cerebral Palsy Association because you felt the song was too mean-spirited, and for Perform This Way, song proceeds were going to the Human Rights Campaign. It's sort of tied into this other issue of, of, of impact. I mean, you know, is this your kind of, I guess, guilt-laden response to when a song goes too far in hindsight, or...? What well, of this? Why, why do you do this? Well, uh, a full uh, um, disclosure, uh, the Icky Breaky uh, donations were made at the uh, request of the songwriter. The, the songwriter. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did uh, um, uh, decide on the HRC thing myself just because I was so on the fence about doing a parody of Born This Way because it was such a, you know, uh, uh, anthem for, for human rights and it was had such a positive message. And, you know, I always talk about, you know, there's no songs or artists that are beyond parody, but there's such a gray area, and this is one of those gray areas. And, and, and uh, morally, the only way I could rationalize doing a parody of the song was by donating my proceeds. I see, I see. Five years ago, you wrote in the Al Archive that you received significantly greater revenue from CD sales than digital downloads. Five years later, is this still the case, or is touring really the only way to make money these days? Uh, I don't know the split at this moment between CD sales and internet sales. 
Uh, I know very well that uh, sales in general are way down, as they are for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I would say at this point, I, I definitely make more money from touring and merch than I do from record sales. It's sort of flip-flop from the, the way it was when I was first starting out. Do you see albums really kind of sustaining themselves in the next 10 years, or are you just kind of going to ride the wave and see what happens? We're going to see what happens. I, I think nobody in the industry really knows what's happening. I mean, it, it's, it gets grimmer and grimmer every single year. Uh, my record label has cut down its staff uh, considerably this yeah, year. Yeah. Um, it, it feels very ominous. I don't know what's happening. I've got one more album left on my contract. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. You know, and it's hard to say what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, we're, just, we're all just, you know, kind of like deer in headlights and trying to figure out, like, how to stay in business. On the other hand, if you didn't have albums to produce, you could just release songs intermittently as they came to you. Is that a possibility? That's or? another way to go. I mean, that yeah. that's sort of the way the uh, uh, music industry was in the 50s and early yeah. 60s. Yeah. And that was also the, the golden era of novelty music because that meant that, you know, you could have a timely topical single, get it out there, and have a hit for a few weeks. Yeah. Which, you know, in, in my case, that might not be a bad thing. I mean, that that's still the kind of humor that I do. And even though I like the uh, concept of uh, the album and the, the physical product, um, I think digital distribution is, is clearly uh, going to be a big part of my future. Yeah. In 2001, in response to your January 28, 1998 LASIK surgery, you stated, if Madonna's allowed to reinvent herself every 15 minutes, I figure I should be good for a change at least once every 20 years. Now that we're a little more than seven years away from January 2018, <laughs> have you had time to consider your next reinvention? I mean, uh, is it going to happen at that moment on 2018? Uh, yeah, I, I might uh, I might have uh, some part of me be bionic, but I haven't figured out which part yet. Um, what about Shatner's version of Bohemian Rhapsody? I was thinking to myself, hey, wait a minute, he's kind of riding on Weird Al's coattails from a few years before in terms of the novelty queen situation. Oh, he was oh, doing the, Rocket yeah. Man before I was ever on the scene, so oh, yeah. he, he has the license to do that. Uh I, I, I saw that. It's. I was a little disheartened because I know uh, Shatner's back to, to playing playing the camp card. Yeah. And he's very. I don't know how self aware he was when he was doing Rocket Man. He was obviously very self aware now. Yeah. And I, I very much preferred the stuff that he was doing with Ben Folds. I mean, uh, his has been album I thought was brilliant. Yeah. And I thought it really knocked people back that thought that he was some kind of joke or campy figure. I mean, it was quite a good album and and very. Uh, he showed a very vulnerable side, and it was uh, amazing. And now, you know, I, I'm not sure why he's doing it, but he's back. He's perfectly happy, you know, <laughs> playing the camp Bill Shatner role again. Yeah, so you're thinking Shatner is calculating the camp audience, and this is perhaps getting in the way of his otherwise interesting achievements as, as a... I mean, it's his choice, person. obviously. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this is probably a lot more commercial, and will get a whole lot more attention. Uh, so maybe he's having the whole art versus commerce yeah. uh, conversation in his head. Well, how have you managed to say so sincere over the years? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean there, there's, there was an increasing sincerity in your voice as well as the albums progressed. You know, you wanted to, to really be more, I think, earnest. Uh, since you've been gone, uh -huh. one of my favorite tracks of yours is, is a great earnest acapella track. And so I'm curious about how you have managed to sustain that for, for so long. I, I haven't given that a whole lot of thought. I mean, maybe it's just a natural part of, uh, of I hate to use the word maturity, but yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for a while, and, and after a while, you don't want to write about lunch meat so much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Weird Al, um, I, I see at the time I apologize, but thank you so much. It was a pleasure chatting. Yeah, this was fun. Thank Great. you. Thanks. Okay. Since you've been gone, since you've been gone, I couldn't feel any worse if you dropped a two-ton bowling ball on my toes. Since you've been gone, it couldn't hurt anymore if you shoved a red-hot cactus up my nose. Since you've been gone, since you've been gone.